In today's program, we'll be highlighting three major stories, the Nashville school shooting, the New York indictment of President Trump, and the J6 protester Jacob Chansley's early release from prison. We also have a bonus Dictionary Wars story. You don't want to miss this. We the people are sick and tired. Let's peel back the curtain of confusion to shed light upon the mainstream media madness. And now, Narrative Wars with your host, Jeffrey K. Lyons. We the people are sick and tired. So tired. Well, I'm your host, Jeffrey K. Lyons. You're listening to Narrative Wars, and thank you for joining us. We're going to do a week in review. We're going to take a look at the week of March 27th to 31st. Today is April 1st, 2023. Thank you for joining us, and this is Narrative Wars. Now, we're going to take a look at the first story here, which was a huge story, and it's a story I wish I didn't even have to bring, but it's a story that's heart-wrenching, And it's more than a story. It affected real people, families, lives, and it's devastated certain families for the rest of their lives. Three students, all age nine, were murdered on Monday, the 27th of March, 2023. And three adults were also murdered. Those were people that worked in the school. So, a brief timeline here, or a quick timeline. This was uh, in ABC News, Nashville, and it's uh, Nashville shooting timeline, okay? So, uh, 9.53 a.m., the suspect's vehicle is seen on the premise. 9.57, the suspect sends a message on Instagram to a former basketball friend and says, I'm planning to die today. 1010, the suspect is seen in surveillance footage shooting through the front door and entering the building. So there's a lot of cameras here. The doors were locked as they should be, but the suspect knew the building. The suspect had attended the school many years ago. The school only goes up to the uh, sixth grade, and the suspect was now 28 years old, identified as Audrey Hale. And so the uh, subject knew, or the shooter knew, the layout of the school. In fact, later it was discovered that uh, there were uh, plans or drawings of the school uh, that were found at the um, shooter's residence. Uh, Nashville at 10.13 p.m., or excuse me, a.m., the Nashville police received the first call of an active shooter. And by 10.21, the first responding officers arrived on campus. So that's... Pretty quick, that's uh, eight minutes. Uh, Within eight minutes of the call, they're there on on the campus. 10.23, the first officers enter the school. And um, so the police were wearing uh, body cameras, um, and they identified themselves. They're going from room to room looking for the shooter. They're clearing the classrooms. Uh, There were five officers, and by 10.24 a.m., Uh, Five officers arrived on the second level, and the shooting was heard uh, on the second level. Uh, The the shooter had moved up to the second floor. So the officers followed those sounds, the gunfire, toward the shooter, 
And according to police body-worn camera footage, the two officers then engaged the subject at 10.25 a.m. And the subject was reported down uh, at 10.25. So quite a rapid response, very different than what happened in Uvalde, Texas, where over 20 died. In this case, the officers responded quickly. People uh, hid in classrooms. The uh, shooter was not able to gain access to classrooms. Doors were locked. And uh, so it was a very different situation here. Let's take a listen to cut number four. They are the panicked 911 calls. Active shooter, Covenant Presbyterian Church. He shot the windows out to enter the school. You see broken glass. Is the suspect still there? Is that your aware of, sir? Mark, we know he's still there. We didn't go up close to the place. Did you see the shooter? All I saw was a man holding an assault rifle shooting through the door. You can hear the shock and panic in their voices as they describe the suspect, Audrey Hale, who identifies as transgender. She had a vest on and a assault rifle. He was last seen in the second grade hallway. The second grade hallway is on the upstairs. Listen to a teacher whispering as she and her students hide out in a closet in art class. I hear another shot. You did? I hear any more shots. They're coming, they're coming. um, Just try to stay quiet. We've got a lot of help coming to you, okay? And the sister of one of the hero cops who took down the shooter is speaking to Inside Edition. Deanna DeHart couldn't be prouder of her little brother, Nashville police officer Michael Colazzo, whose courage is earning praise across America. To do what he had to do and to be forced to do it and to be put in a position where he didn't have a choice. It's hard. I learned a lot about my brother then. How amazing he actually is, how selfless he is, how brave he is, and not only him, the people that he surrounds himself with. So what a terrifying situation uh, for any of the students, for any of the staff at that school. But these police officers selflessly uh, put themselves in the line of fire put their own lives at, um, in, in, a, in a place where they, they put their own lives out there in order to confront this shooter, and they actively took the shooter out. Now, what's really strange is this occurred on Monday, the 27th, but by Wednesday, March the 29th, the story had pivoted, and we would expect that. It was bound to happen every time there's a shooter Uh, incident, it pivots to gun control, gun control, gun control. And the story that we just played really took the sandwich format. The beginning of the story talked about gun control. Then it had the, the part that we just listened to. And then at the end, more gun control. So they were just pushing gun, gun control, gun control. Really, this person needed help, really needed help. And uh, folks, look, if, if somebody can't access a gun, they're going to find ways to injure people without guns. Remember Timothy McVeigh, the Oklahoma bomber? How about the person that just used a car and ran into a number of older people in a parade? And cars have been used in other instances to just run people down. So getting rid of guns, I do not believe, is the solution Uh, People that are intent on doing harm, they're going to do harm. And remember, the bad guys, they can get guns illegally anyway. So you take away the guns and um, who's who's left with the guns? The bad people, 
the bad actors. So by Wednesday, March the 29th, gun control is what was playing in the press. Okay? But then it pivots again. This is very interesting. By March 29th, another narrative started coming out. And uh, there's an article in Western Journal called Trans Activists Set Stage for Religious School Ban Set Shift the Blame to Christians for, Nash- for Nashville uh, Shooting. Now, this is, this is very troubling because what, what happens is that, uh, and what, what this um, article identifies, this is Douglas Golden uh, at the Western Journal uh, who wrote this piece. Douglas brings out the point that there's always a question of motive with a Christian school being targeted. So, okay, there's a Christian school being targeted. Why did that happen? Well, it turns out that this person was trans, the shooter, and the shooter attended the school. And so the the motive gets twisted that Christians are to blame. So the solution in some quarters, hasty and messy though it may have been, was to blame Christians and conservatives for bringing it upon themselves. Ah, yeah, mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Take Eli Ehrlich, a transgender activist who, according to UK Daily Mail, has, quote, recently boasted about providing cross-sex hormones to children. Ehrlich posted false allegations of abuse at the church that runs the Covenant School in Nashville. And he denounced it as, quote, a right-wing institution, unquote, and said without evidence that the shooter suffered abuse at the school. So people are just making stuff up. Here's a transgender activist, Eli Ehrlich, just making things up writing and posting into UK Daily Mail. I don't even know why they put this out there because this is unconscionable. So the, the narrative now shifts. Now it was the Christian's fault. It was the Christian's fault at this school. Um, unbelievable. Unbelievable. So now the White House gets involved, Corinne Jean-Pierre, and she is imploring sympathy for the shooter. Wait, I thought the shooter was the antagonist. I thought the shooter was the perpetrator. I thought the shooter was the satanic person that thought it would be a good idea to murder innocent children and adults on Monday morning, March the 27th in Nashville at Covenant School. Oh no, oh no. Apparently not. Apparently there's a different story going. So listen to the narrative shift and what Corinne Jean-Pierre brings out. Well, look, um, first of all, we, uh, we support peaceful protest. Uh, we think it's important for Americans and people just across the country to make their voices heard, uh, just as long as it's peaceful. Uh, and we've been very clear about these anti-LGBTQ bills that we're seeing in state legislators, legislatures across the country, in particular these anti-trans bills. So let's talk about those peaceful protests. So a few days later, yeah, there was a peaceful protest at the state capitol, the Tennessee state capitol. And that peaceful protest had hundreds, 
perhaps over a thousand or more people there screaming, yelling, shutting down the business of the day at the Tennessee State Capitol, screaming at lawmakers, making them walk a gauntlet, pushing, shoving. Doesn't sound very peaceful, does it? No, I don't think it does. As they attack trans kids, as they attack trans parents, uh, it, is, it is shameful and it is unacceptable. Uh, as you mentioned, tomorrow's Trans Visibility Day on a day that we should be lifting up our trans kids. So it's shameful. It's shameful to attack trans kids. It's shameful to attack trans parents. What, what about it's shameful to murder three innocent children? What about that? Huh. What about it's shameful to murder three adults, all in their 60s, that were serving their community, serving in that church, and serving these children to help them get a good education? What, what about that shameful activity? No, she's not interested in that. She's not interested in condemning that. No, no. She's interested in pivoting the narrative pivoting it and perverting the narrative when the story should really be a week of mourning, a week of talking about how they can help these families and what they can do for these families, these grieving families. They don't even wait more than two days until they pivot to their disgusting political talking points. They don't even allow these, these families to bury their dead before they pivot and, and, and move to their political talking points. Oh, it's shameful. It's shameful that the Tennessee state government would stand up for children and not want young teens that aren't even 18 years old, not wanting them to have their genitals cut off, not wanting them to have puberty blockers, not wanting them to be neutered and effectively neutralized. They'll never be able to have children. It'll destroy their life. No. No, that's perfectly okay because we call that gender affirming care it's no it's not it's gender gender mutilation barbaric care and the people that are pushing that should lose their licenses to practice medicine but green jean-pierre continues and she pushes the day of trans visibility march the 31st She's forgotten about the people that died on Monday. She's pushing Trans Visibility Day. Our trans youth and making sure that they feel seen. We're seeing more and more of these hateful, hateful bills. And so it is shameful. It is disturbing. And uh, our hearts go out to uh, the, those, the trans community. So my heart does not go out to this satanic trans person that walked in with the intent to murder children. No, no. In fact, I don't even want to speak the person's name. I don't want to read the person's manifesto, and I hope they don't publish it. I hope they don't put it out. But in this 
In this society where people just have to know, have to know, it will find a way to get out so that certain news outlets will get more clicks, more eyeballs, more ears, because people just need to know, need to know. I, if it was up to me, I'd just burn that manifesto. Burn it. And that person who did that shooting, that their name would be wiped out from the face of the earth. Well, we continue with the next major story of the week. The next major story of the week is a story that Tucker Carlson broke. Now, he had put out this information a few weeks ago. He got these tapes from Speaker of the House, Kevin McCarthy, and the tapes showed over 40,000 hours of activity on the day of January 6th, shortly after the election, the 2020 election. And in those tapes, January, 20, uh, January 6th, of course, the inauguration was on the 20th of January. So this was prior to the inauguration. Trump was still the president, 45th president of the United States. In those tapes, there was quite a lot to see. And I'm sure, and I'm hoping that we are going to see more. But what Tucker released was video on the so-called January 6th QAnon shaman, Jacob Chansley. Was Jacob Chansley carrying a gun, assault weapons like the shooter in Nashville? No. In fact, Jacob Chansley was walking around with a hat, with buffalo horns and a um, and other furs on his head and an American flag. And he tried to paint his face red, right, white, and blue. Not a very intimidating figure. And he walked from room to room in the Capitol and as many as six police officers escorted him around, Capitol police officers, not very scary. He prayed and then he went outside the camp, outside of, excuse me, he went outside of the Capitol and he got a message. He saw a message from Trump that was telling the protesters, time to go home, go home peacefully. And he was telling people to go home. Now, was this made available to Jacob Chansley's lawyer in order to support Jacob Chansley's defense? No, it wasn't. So let's take a listen to the piece. Cut number three. Watkins represented Jacob Chansley at his trial. He had not seen that video evidence until we broadcast it on Monday, and we're happy to have him join us now. Mr. Watkins, thank you for coming on. If you could just well, restate clearly, just to make sure that, you know, I, I don't want to put words in your mouth. Had you seen that clearly exculpatory tape of your client at trial? No. We went through extraordinary efforts on behalf of our client to put him in a position of knowledge. That's my duty as an agent of the court, to make sure that he knew everything that the government had, good and bad, to put him in that position to make a learned, informed, voluntary decision about whether to go to trial or take a plea. And remember, this is a man who had 
tremendous intelligence, very gentle, very, very articulate, who was diagnosed 15 years earlier by the, by the government with a mental health issue. And the government knew that. The government knew through three hearings when we begged and pleaded to get this man out of solitary confinement, literally falling into an abyss mentally. And through each of those three hearings, that government assistant U.S. attorney knew the most important aspect of that hearing was that Jake was not violent. The government knew. They knew that Jake had walked around with all of these police officers. They had that video footage. I didn't get it. It wasn't disclosed to me. It wasn't provided to me. I requested it. I filed the requisite pleadings for it. And whether I did or not, they had a duty, an absolute duty, with zero discretion to provide it to me so that I could share it with my client. So this evidence was withheld. Withheld from the defense. Expulsed. Uh, exculpatory, exculpatory evidence, evidence that would be able to show the defendant in a positive light. This was withheld. This was withheld. And uh, I think the case could be made that an egregious error was made by, and, and that it was in fact intentional that an egregious error was made by either the prosecuting attorney in this case or by the person that was in charge of the Capitol Police, who would have been Nancy Pelosi, the Speaker of the House. The Speaker of the House. This evidence was intentionally withheld. And now that we have a new Congress, which is Republican, a new Speaker of the House, a new person who is Kevin McCarthy was able to access those videos, that evidence from that day, January 6th. It's been released. It was released to Tucker Carlson at Fox News. And now Jacob Chansley has been released early from prison. The judge has been made aware of it. The attorney for Jacob Chansley has been made aware of it. And you could arguably say that Chansley never should have gone to jail in the first place because he really didn't commit a crime. Chansley's 35 years old. He's recognized as the shirtless, face-painted man who, according to one federal judge, became the very image of January 6th. And you know what? Isn't that what it's all about? They wanted him to be the face of January 6th. The face of the insurrection. He didn't have any guns. He didn't have any weapons. He had animal skins on his head, buffalo horns, and he's walking around shirtless with an American flag. That's not very scary. Quite different than the, than the Nashville shooter who had loaded weapons and was killing people. But they wanted someone to be the face, someone to be the face 
of January 6th. And Jacob Chansley was the poster child for the January 6th riot. So they're going to want to bury this story. Oh, yeah, they're going to want to bury this story that he has now been released early, that uh, this evidence came out, which clearly showed that the evidence was withheld from the defense, and it does not look good. It does not look good. And really, what we have here is a two-tier justice system. You keep hearing that term over and over, and this is a perfect example, perfect example, that if, if we don't like your politics, if we don't like your MAGA hat or the fact that you support President Trump, or anybody else that doesn't go along with the mainstream narrative, and we're going to find a way to lock you up. We're going to find a way to silence you. We're going to find a way to try you in a court of law in a place where you're not going to get a fair trial. And certainly Washington, D.C., you're not going to get a fair trial if you're not a Democrat. You're not going to get a fair trial if you support Trump. You're not going to get a fair trial if you wave an American flag and say, hey, I'm an American patriot. No, not in Washington, D.C. It just doesn't happen there. So the QAnon shaman, Jacob Chansley, has secured an early release from prison and he's, they're moving him to a halfway house. This is according to his lawyer. The U.S. Bureau of Prisons records indicate that Chansley has been released to a halfway house after serving 16 months of a three-and-a-half-year prison sentence. So um, I hope all the best for Jacob. I hope that he is able to get on with his life, and I hope that he has a better experience in this halfway house. Well, folks, uh, this is very interesting. We're going to move on right now to the part of the program that we call Dictionary Wars. Dictionary Wars. And uh, this is where we talk about the war of words, not the war of worlds but the war of words taking place. If I can steal words from your mouth, if I can take the words that are coming out of your mouth and redefine what those words are, then I have power over you. Or in this case, the deep state has power over you. So let's take a look at today's example of dictionary wars. CBS executives bar the word transgender from reports on the Nashville shooter. Huh. This story broke in the New York Post on March the 30th, 2023. Huh. Why would they do this? Very interesting. Tuesday, March 28th, top executives at CBS... News have banned staffers from using the word transgender. 
So remember, if they can take words out of your mouth or if they can redefine words that are coming out of your mouth, then they have power over you. And in this case, they're choking words. They're taking those words away. They're silencing those words. They're banning those words. They're not allowing their new staffers to use the word transgender. The story continues. When reporting on the Nashville shooter, they're not allowed, according to top executives at CBS, after March 28th, they're not allowed to use the word transgender. Despite, get this, (laughs) despite the fact that police have said that Audrey Hale, the shooter, was just that. Audrey Hale was self-identified as a transgender person. Audrey Hale was a biological woman who identified as a male. But, but you can't call this person a transgender. But, but the transgender person called themselves transgender. No, no, according to CBS, you can't say that. Why? Hmm, we're going to talk about that. Audrey Hale was just that incited as a key point in the case. Now, the Post has learned about this, New York Post. So continuing, continuing in this piece by the New York Post, CBS News Directive was delivered on a Tuesday morning, editorial call by Ingrid Shiprin Matthews, hope I pronounced that right, I think it's Cyprian Matthews, Um, hope I got that right, the Executive Vice President of News Gathering and Claudia um, Milne, the Senior Vice President of Standards and Practices. Standards and Practices is the department in large news organizations uh, that's basically allowed to censor or to change the narrative in terms of how to frame a story, what to say, what you can't say. That's been around for a long time, according to the sources. So the story continues. Sources said that Cyprian Matthews and Mills spent 15 minutes on the Tuesday call discussing the directive, which bewildered many of the journalists, given that the Metropolitan Nashville Police Chief, John Drake, said Hale was transgender and that her identity was transgender. Huh. I mean, it's almost like saying if a person has brown hair, you can't say that person has brown hair or a person has blue eyes. No, you can't say that person has blue eyes. But this is the world world we're living in now, folks. This is this is the dictionary wars. This is the uh, basically. Uh, if you ever thought that journalism was still alive in the United States, it's not. It's dead. You can't even say that left is left, that right is right. You know, one of the. I wouldn't be surprised if they're going to say uh, gravity doesn't exist, or that. The sun doesn't really exist. We get sunburns from plants in the yard. No, not from the sun. But I digressed. The decision has since reflected the network's coverage. Hours after the shooting on Monday morning, correspondent Janet Shemelian reported on CBS Evening News with Nora O'Connell that Hale identifies as transgender. Well, following CBS Tuesday call, however, the mentions of Hale's gender identity stopped. Huh. 
We're waiting to see the manifesto and details about motive, a CBS spokesman, spokeswoman told the Post. As we say in our guidance, we will then review and revise our reporting. So there it again, there it is again. We want to see the manifesto. Mm-hmm. Yeah. More internet clicks, more eyeballs on TV, more ears listening on the radio or on a podcast. Oh, wow. We got to see the manifesto. Huh. I hope they burn it. I hope they burn it. So, very interesting. There you go. Dictionary Wars for the week of March the 27th. Within a day after the story, you can't even say at CBS News, you can't even say that the person who identifies themselves as transgender is transgender. How odd the world that we live in. And now for our final story. This is just a huge, well, or I could say a huge story. President Trump was indicted in New York. He was indicted, and um, this is the first time a sitting president, or excuse me, a past president of the United States of America has ever been indicted for a crime. Let's take a listen as Jack Posobiec uh, covered this on War Room and what his initial reactions were when this story broke the news this week. I'd like to send a message. You know, I didn't know I was going to be hosting War Room today. I didn't know this was going to happen today. So this is this is just me without any, you know, any preconceived, uh, you know, no statements or anything like that. But do you honestly think that this makes us scared? Do you honestly think that we're worried about this? Do you honestly think that we don't see exactly what this is, we're not the ones who are scared. You are. You are the ones who are scared of us. You're scared of this movement. You're scared that we've got the receipts, that we've got the drop on you, and this movement is getting bigger and bigger. And no matter what you do, no matter what you've thrown at us over the last eight years, no matter what you've thrown at President Donald Trump, at Steve Bannon, at myself, at Roger Stone, at General Flynn, at Paul Manafort, at all the rest of us, we still keep getting bigger and we still keep coming back every single time. And these patriots, from the people of East Palestine to the people of Waco to the people of Pennsylvania, all across this entire nation, we see you. And you know what we say? Bring it on. So Jack Posobiec was uh, covering for Steve Bannon on his program, War Room, and that was over, um, that, that was this week on the Real American Voice Network. And so, you know, this is one of the biggest stories that has ever occurred, ever occurred in the United States of America. And of course, Jack wasn't thinking that this would break when he was covering for Steve. Um, Steve, I'm sure, will have much more to say about it when he returns. But a little more detail about the story. So a grand jury in New York City voted Thursday to indict Donald Trump. First time a former U.S. president had faced criminal charges. Okay, this is according to 
uh, in NBC News. The historic indictment comes in a case centered on $130,000 in payments to um, adult film, film star Stormy Daniels. Folks, this is a non-disclosure agreement. NDAs happen all the time in the United States of America. Now, we could debate and talk about, you know, was there an affair, was there not? Certainly, if there was, then that doesn't look good. But that's not the point. The point here is that NDAs are completely legal. And the Manhattan DA's office is looking at something that happened years ago as a way to get at President Trump. It's all about stopping Trump from running for the presidency in 2024. I mean, look, Biden is a shell of a human being. Who's in charge of the White House? Well, it's the Easter Bunny. I, I mean, I saw the video. Biden didn't know where to turn on the stage. He turned, and then there was the Easter Bunny. The Easter Bunny helped him and steered him in the right direction. Biden walks around on the stage and tries to shake hands in the air to people that aren't there. The man's got either early onset dementia or he's just got dementia. And Trump is leading in all of the polls. So they're going to do anything and everything they can. We're in completely new territory here, uncharted waters. Nobody's ever been here before, so you're going to get comments all over the map. This coming week, Trump is going to, he says he's going to surrender himself, and they'll formally indict him. He'll be at the Manhattan DA's office. And that will be quite a media event, quite an event. According to the NBC News piece, this evening we contacted Mr. Trump's attorney to coordinate his surrender to the Manhattan DA's office for arraignment on Supreme Court indictment, which remains under seal. Guidance will be provided when the arraignment date is selected. Trump attorney Susan Nechels, N-E-C-H-E-L-E-S, told NBC News that Trump, who lives in Florida, is expected to be arraigned next week. That's going to be next week, Tuesday, first week of April, 2023. He's expected to surrender to the Manhattan DA's office. Trump attorney Joe Tocopina said earlier on Thursday, quote, President Trump has been indicted. He didn't commit any crime. We will vigorously fight this political prosecution in court. So, here we go again. It was years of Russia, Russia, Russia. And the whole ridiculous Mueller report, which came up with what? Came up with a big nothing burger. Big nothing burger. Nothing came out of that. But that's not the point. The point is not always to win in court or even to prevail in court. The point is just to keep Trump looking 
bad in the press. That's the whole point. And now we're charting out a new shameful direction in the United States of America. There's, we're in the banana republic category now. The nations of the world are laughing at us, laughing at us. This is the stuff they do in small countries where the new president comes in and he either throws the old president in jail or he comes up with charges and runs them out of the country and that president goes into exile. And now we're doing this in the United States of America. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. But you know, the Democrats are so, so taken or overtaken by Trump derangement syndrome that I'm convinced they'll do anything. They'll burn down the country if it'll stop Trump from running and winning the White House in 2024. And a big part of it is because Trump's already announced that heads are going to roll. People are going to get fired from the FBI, from the CIA, DOJ, the deep state. Thousands of people could lose their jobs. And rightly so because we've got a two-tiered system of government in our country now. So they're going to do anything to keep their jobs, to keep their pensions, to keep their cocktail parties that they have in Washington, D.C., to keep their nice offices and their titles that they have and their important business meetings and their important business flights from state to state or for some from the United States to another country and their lifestyle and their apartments and all of that. They're going to do anything they can in order to maintain that lifestyle and that way of life, that way of living where they all stroke each other's ego, pat each other on the back and say, aren't we doing a great job Aren't we great Americans? Aren't we defending the Constitution? No, I don't think so. I don't think so. Well, this is our program for the day, and I hope you enjoyed it. This was our wrap-up of the news and the top three stories uh, which I chose from the week of March the 27th to the 31st. And um, you can find us. Where can you find us? You can find us on social media, on Getter. Just type in Jeffrey K. Lyons. No spaces to find the Getter page for Narrative Wars. That's Jeffrey K. Lyons on Getter. Until next time, fellow lovers of liberty, may the Lord bless you and keep you. Sick and tired hey. So tired